G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US. I welcome you all here for another year-end review. And for those people who have tuned into this show over the last six, five or six years, you will know that at the end of every year, I like to do a review. Stop, take stock of where we've come from, and really break down what this year has been about. And for me, personally, I want to just start by saying I blinked, and 2021 is over. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to the show are exactly in the same boat. But before we get into the show, I want to just welcome you all back uh, to another incredible year in review episode. I want to thank you all for tuning in each and every week. I want to thank you for all the support that you've given this show over the last six years. We're over 300 episodes in this show. I couldn't do it without you guys. Thank you so much for all the reviews that you put online. Keep that up. If you have any uh, feedback for me on future episodes, please reach out to me at info at reedgoosens.com. Uh, and I want to just start by saying happy holidays. I hope your Thanksgiving went well. I hope there was some turkey to be had for those Americans out there. For those international people, 
you're coming into your holidays right now. You know, if you're uh, happy Hanukkah to those people who are the Jewish religion, you know, Merry Christmas to those people in the Christian religion. So, and everyone in between. So there's also, there's, there's a, it's, a, it's a year and a time for giving thanks and spending time with family and enjoying what the year has brought. And, and, and let's be honest, this year has been a bit of a weird year. It's been a crazy year. Uh, and that's what I'm going to get into in today's show. So what are the things I'm going to cover in this year-end review is I'm going to cover the major thing that's on everyone's mind, inflation and the transitory inflation, what governments around the world are telling people about inflation, how that's really affecting property prices, rents, wages, you know, the grocery bill, gas prices, all that stuff. And what does that mean going into 2022? I'm also going to break it down into how we actually got to where we are today and really try and simplify the explanation of what um, inflation is. And then again, I'm going to summarize with what I've also seen in today's market as an investor, as a multifamily investor. I'm trying to look for new deals. I'm selling current deals. I'm also going to give a little bit of advice and insight into what my rents have grown in the last 12 months and how that is impacting prices. So again, uh, thank you again for tuning in. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a, a five-star review on iTunes. And remember, if you have any comments for me, please just reach out to me at info at reedgoosens.com. I really appreciate all the feedback. I really appreciate all the support that we've had on this show for the last six years. All right, let's get into today's show. So let's talk about it. inflation. Inflation, inflation, inflation. So let's maybe start with how do we get here? How do we get to this point of inflation? And I want to talk a little bit about transitory inflation, but I also want to talk about the lead up to just try and simplify it for people and, and, and really take stock of where we've come from. So rewind the clock. We're back in March of 2020, right? The pandemic hits. So inflation is a, is a result of what we've had happen in the pandemic. And so remember, we were all told to stay at home. So in March of 2020, we're all in our, in our homes. People, some people have lost their jobs. Some people have now had to quickly pivot to working from home. And so that has had a real impact on the way in which supplies are transferred around the world. So think about the, the shipping, uh, the, the supply chain, right? If all of a sudden we have this pandemic and people are told to go home, people are told to socially distance, well, one, the shipping companies have to, and the manufacturing companies have to pivot as well, like we all had to pivot. And because it's a manual labor job, you're probably going to have less people in the factories, on the supply chain, bringing products around the world, which has caused a massive issue. Because guess what? People, when we were at home, for those people like myself, I was very fortunate I could continue to work from home from a laptop, but there's other people that, that couldn't right? Um, and then for, for, for the population, they still needed to consume stuff. We still needed to get groceries. We still needed to have food on the table. We still needed to order stuff. So, you know, we've seen being locked in our homes, we've, all we've been able to do is sit on our computers, watch TV and try and work a little bit and then order stuff online. Well, guess what? If the, pa if the pandemic is also having an effect on the supply chain, well, the supply chain is then going to start faltering, right? Because people can't work their normal hours. So what does that mean? It comes down to supply and demand. If you still have a big demand for products, just basic services and products that we all need to live, everything from toilet paper all the way through to milk, all the way through to putting gas in the car, and yet you don't have the same supply chain system set up because they're also been impacted, well, guess what? 
costs of living starts to increase because there's only limited supply of certain items in the market. It's simple supply and demand, right? People still need things. There's not enough product of a certain item. Let's just use toilet paper, for example. If there's not enough product of toilet paper, then the cost of toilet paper is going to go up. This has now a trickle-on effect to everything in, in between, everything from goods and services all the way through to what we need to, to run you know, our, our daily lives. And we've also had to learn how to pivot. You know, companies around the globe have learned, have tried to be able to have a new working environment where they're not in the office anymore. They had to work from home. So this has been a really big shock system, shock to the system, I should say. And this is in 2020, right? And so specifically, how did that relate to investing? Well, I saw on the investing side, on my personal portfolio, well, I saw people starting to struggle to pay rent, right? Not, not necessarily people who are white collar who could work from home, but I saw people who are in the service industry start you know, defaulting on, on, their, on their money, on their rent. Not a lot, I will say. I will say there's not a, not, not a large portion of the population or, in, or our renters that did default. But we did see the lower socioeconomic um, jobs, like the serving jobs, like in the construction jobs, like admin jobs. There were hourly jobs. Those people who had those jobs, who, who, who are a portion of my renters, started to have issues paying rent, right? And that's where we have stimulus comes in. And this is going to impact on the conversation around inflation, right? Now, I just want to quickly say on this, this pandemic and this inflation has caused the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. I, I, I'm not saying that from a political standpoint. I'm saying it more from a factual standpoint. And I also want to say that this is happening across the globe. This is not an American problem. This is happening in Australia. This is happening in Europe. This is happening in Asia. This is happening in Latin America. It's happening across the globe where you're seeing the wealthy get wealthier through when we'll talk about hard, investing in hard assets. And then the, the people who are struggling, you know, the hourly work, work, are workers struggling to make ends meet because cost of living is going up because we just spoke about supply and demand. And also that people have lost their jobs. So now add in the next layer. The next layer is all about quantitative easing. Now, in the pandemic, we needed it. We need quantitative easing because we learned from 2008 some of the mistakes that, that everyone saw after 2008. They were a little bit slow with, with QE right after 2008 and it caused a longer term recovery unlike what we've seen today where the quote-unquote recovery has been very much V-shaped. That's partly due to the fact that over 30% of the money in circulation today was printed in the last 12 months. Now, I will say that in the height of pandemic, when people have lost their jobs and when the world is starting to readjust to the new norm, how to work, socially distance, supply chain issues, all the things I've just mentioned earlier, which has then impacted the cost of living, and people can't then, you know, work in the normal ways in which they have become accustomed to, it has had complete shockwaves across the country and thus people needed support, right? I'm not, and again, I'm not going to get into political statements of whether support is good or not, but I believe, in, honestly, from an economic point of view, if you didn't have some quantitative easing to help the, the majority of people in the, in the beginning and, and through the major pandemic issues, then you may be, we may be in a different spot today. Again, looking back at history, 
of other recessions like 2008, where they were slower to release the purse strings. So, there's, so that means they've caused money, a lot of money to be in circulation in and around the country, right? So we've talked about cost, supply demand. We've talked about the cost of, of living going up. We've talked about quantitative easing. Now let's add in a fourth layer, a third or fourth layer, I've forgotten where we're at now, and that is cheap debt. So things that are, are cheaper, money, borrowing money is cheaper, right? So we have, uh, and I'll add in a fifth thing, which is also migration around uh, the country, right? And when I, when I talk about migration, I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to come back to cheap debt in a minute, but, but the, the big thing about migration around the country is that we saw in 2020 a lot of people saying, well, hey, if I don't have to work, if I can work remotely, why do I have to live in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York? I live in LA, it's an expensive city. Why don't I move to Austin, Texas? Or why don't I move to Denver, Colorado? Or why don't I move to Charlotte, North Carolina? Or why don't I move to Tampa Bay, Florida, right? These are all more affordable markets, historically more affordable than the coastal cities like New York, San Francisco, LA, um, you know, some parts of Chicago, Boston, those sort of things. So when you have a big migration of people moving to these, we'll call them, I'm just gonna call them secondary cities, right? because the cost of living is less, they're coming in with a bunch of money that they've expected, they've got a mindset of paying for in their old hometown. So for example, let's just talk about rent, right? LA rent, I've rented in LA for many, many years and now I'm now a household, I'm a homeowner here. But I know the cost of a one bedroom rent is probably around 2,100, you know, averaging probably around 21 to 2,500 for one bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. Now, in, in a, you know, and I, I don't have any stats to back that up, but I just know from where I would want to live back in the day, it cost me about 2,100 bucks, right? And I'm not going to talk about what today's prices are just yet. So when I take 2,100 bucks, let's just, let's just round, you know, let's just round it down to $2,000, right? So I'm at $2,000 for one bedroom, one bath. If I look at somewhere like Austin, Texas, where I've been investing for the last seven, eight years, that maybe on an average class B, you know, older building, your one bedroom may cost you a thousand bucks or eleven hundred dollars. So there's a gap there, right? So people moving to these secondary markets have an expectation they're going to pay more, right? So there's there's an expectation they're going to pay more. But again, but also what's happened is that there's a large influx in populations in these secondary markets. Guess what happens when a large influx in population happens in secondary markets, but there's only limited supply? The cost of rent goes up. The cost of uh, housing goes up. Buying new houses costs more because, again, people with a mindset coming from coastal markets where the average household, I, I know that I bought my house here in LA for probably $750,000. I could buy a lot more of my money in Austin, Denver, Charlotte, Tampa Bay, for example, than I would in Los Angeles. And you have that mindset of people coming and saying, oh, great, well, the average house is only $350,000, $400,000. Great, I'm going to buy two of them, right? So cost of housing starts to go up, rent starts to go up, right? And that's what's happened in these secondary markets. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I've seen it firsthand in my portfolio. My portfolio is based all in central Texas. So I've seen the massive increase in rents. I've seen rents jump literally 30% that, that are average effective $1,000 rents. I've seen them jump literally in six months to $1,300, $1,400 for the same product without doing anything to it. And that's purely through the migration fact. So that's another issue of where we're seeing uh, uh, you know, inflation in, in other markets grow. Well, how about 
you know, LA, for example, now. I'm going to come back to the cheap lending. Another thing that we had in the pandemic and now coming out of the pandemic, and I'll get into the reopening in a second, is that people like to live from home, right? Also work at work from home. And so the, the way in which households are now set up is that people got to see they're living in there, they're, they're, they're surrounded by their four walls 24-7. That's a work. They have kids. They needed, they needed more space. So that also fueled the shift of, of migration around the country to, to more affordable um, places because families needed more space to, to operate from. But those people who still stayed within their markets, like there's still you know, 7 million people who still live here in LA, but there's still been that same mindset going on just within a local economy, a, a micro economy like Los Angeles. So you have maybe someone who is living in a 1200 square foot, two bedroom, two bath house, now working from home and not having the space that they need to have the kids uh, and also work. So they're going to look for a larger spot, right? This is where the lending comes back in. Money's cheap. People can borrow at a better, at really historically low rates. So now you have people out there looking for more, more space, regardless whether it's LA or Austin or Denver or secondary markets across the country, and you have cheap lending. So there's more people wanting to buy. Guess what's going up? The house prices again. Again, and I'm seeing it here in LA as well. Now, in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a there was a big pullback. Rents dropped, house prices dropped, and we had that dip because people didn't know what's going to happen. Now, in 2021, this year, we've definitely seen the, the employment has uh, unemployment has gone back down. We've seen the cost of housing. Uh, go up. We've seen the cost of living go up. We've seen rents go up because of there's more people looking to move. We've just spoken about that. And we've also seen the cost of wages going up because people are also not willing to just go back into the workforce coming out of COVID uh, and, and uh, you know, knowing if they're going to be safe or not or their employer is going to protect them. So I've actually seen that as well on my properties um, in, in, in Central Texas. Historically, I've been able to, you know, have payroll around for those people who, who listen to this podcast for a long period of time. I like to break it down into the numbers. I've seen historically, again, my payroll be around twelve to thirteen hundred dollars per unit per year. Average employee would probably be between forty-five to sixty thousand dollars when on site. I've now seen net cost of getting good talent go up and that's not that's everything from the maintenance guy who's who's doing uh, all the work orders through the landscaper through the good leasing agents or leasing uh, staff through the good property managers through the good regional managers and that cost has has sort of a parallel uh, path with the cost of rent and the cost of housing so we're now seeing and, and it's, it's partly due to again people not wanting to be in you know coming back to work quickly. And it was not a rush back to work. It was sort of in the pandemic when it started, it was a, hey, stop. People lost their jobs. With the quantitative easing coming back on, uh, coming online, people could live and work from home, as could live at home without having to work. Now trying to get people back into the workforce is being more difficult with some of the still qualitative easing still around, hanging around. And that means you, to attract better talent, you've got to increase your prices. And so that is all having a, a, a knock-on effect to, you know, the, the, just the cost of living. And that's where inflation comes from. Supply demand 
these issues with, with migration moving around the country to cheaper, more affordable places, people working from home, cost of living, uh, sorry, cost of uh, borrowing is really cheap. We've had quantitative easing and all these things impact inflation. And so when people see this coming, when investors see this coming, guess what they're gonna to wanna to put their money into? Hard assets. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value add deals, then head over to readgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up and coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to readgoosens.com and sign up today. Now back into the show. People know that, savvy investors know that if you are going to see inflationary effects in an environment like we are living literally today, you want to invest in commodities and hard assets. Stuff like gold, commodities, um, some, some cryptocurrency because of obviously it's, um, its scarcity, but also real estate. So I've seen on the buying side of my portfolio, I have seen huge, huge increases in value since 12 months ago. Like I'm talking significant value. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day out in the Phoenix market. He was looking at a deal that 12 months ago, the owner had bought it for, I think it was around $95,000 a door. 12 months later, literally 12 months later, it hasn't done a lot to it. He's now selling it for $185,000 a door. It's like mind blowing. And the thing is people are buying it. On my portfolio, I am about to sell an asset that has completely outstripped the, the exit summary or the exit number that I needed to get by nearly 20%. It's good as an owner, but now, I, as an in, but now I'm also an active investor. Now I need to look for new, new product, right? And I'm only saying this because now I'm going to get into the part of what I'm seeing on the everyday. I've spoken about inflation and how that's caused issues through cost of living, through cost of wages, through supply and supply chain, through people living at home and the cost of debt, quantitative easing I've touched on as well. But now, I'm going to, as I'm just mentioning, I'm now going to talk about the, the, the effect in my portfolio. So what does that mean? I've seen great increase in prices, fantastic returns for my investors, but there's the reason that's all been, it's been fueled by people looking to park their money in physical assets like real estate. And that's caused a lot of, um, liquidity to be in the market. Again, part of it due to quantitative easing, part of it due to the, uh, the loans that, that, that the government has given out. Um, but mostly, and part to do with lending is extremely cheap. And then thus people wanting to park their money to hedge their, uh, their, their, hedge their risk against a devaluing dollar, which is what's happening because when you print more money, the, the, the cost of a dollar goes down. And so you're seeing a lot more, just a lot more liquid, a lot more buyers in the market, a lot more people looking to place money in physical assets. Thus, cap rates are coming down because people are willing to pay more. But also people are wanting to pay more, I want to say cap rates, I'm talking about entry cap rates of, of properties going in, right? And this is going to go back to, so this, there's, there's, there's two things happening in here with, with compressed cap rates. Obviously, the, cost, the interest rates, uh, it's tied to interest rates. When interest rates are low, cap rates are usually low as well. But also, we've seen the spike in what I was talking about earlier in rents. And 
if I just take you back to when I first started buying in Central Texas, I knew that the cost of a two bedroom would probably cost me around 750 to 800 bucks. Over the last five to six years, seven years that I've been investing there, the average cost of a one or two bedroom has now gone up to be an effective rent of about $1,000. So maybe let's call it 20% over the last five to six years. Maybe call it four to six years, right? We've now seen, and I remember a thousand bucks is still really affordable compared to where I'm living you know, in LA or what I've historically rented in New York, but I've been investing in these secondary markets. Now, and, and again, this adage has applied to not only just Texas and secondary markets, but it's happening here in LA as well. So in the pandemic where there's drop in the rent, now it's coming back. That same 20 to 30% that I've seen over the last four to six years has happened in six months. So I'm seeing literally new leases signing up for because of issues in, 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 a, in, a, in a micro economy like Austin, Texas, where a lot of people are flocking to because of the cost of living is lower, predominantly lower. I've seen those rents just 30% blinking. You know, the, the existing lease was maybe 1100 bucks. I'm now signing a new lease, haven't even renovated the property or renovated the unit. And that is renting for 14, 1500 bucks, literally. So you're also seeing those entry cap rates with the combination of a lot of money in the market, but people are also buying on the fact that these rents are now, the new bar is set at 14, 1500 bucks, where historically pre-pandemic and in the pandemic, those rents were 30 to 40% lower. So the idea is, okay, we're gonna bring all the other, I've got the last six months I've seen leases at this new number, well, I'm going to spend the next 12 to 24 months bringing all the other leases up to this new number and I'm going to have a stabilized cap rate of, say, 4.5-5%, even though I'm going in today at you know, some cap rates of sub-3% in some of these secondary markets, um, which then goes back to the cost of what I was talking about earlier, the, the valuation cost, which is, you know, I spoke the example earlier, my friend saw, uh, he saw the, a seller who's trying to sell 12 months after the pandemic. He bought, an, a, 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 I think, a 100-unit or 150-unit property in the pandemic for 90K a door. He's now trying to sell it for 180K a door. And people are going to buy it, snap it up all day long. Now, here's my two cents on that. And, and again, from what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of deals in the market, is this idea of um, where can, you know, historically the idea, the investment uh, thesis has been, okay, we're buying at, uh, at lower than cost of replacement in these secondary markets, in Phoenix, in Denver's, in Austin's, in Houston's, in Dallas, and Charlotte's, and Tampa's, and all those sort of places. You're buying an 80s product for the less the, the, the cost of replacement, uh, less than the cost of replacement. So example, you're buying at $100,000 in the cost of replacement. Per door, the cost of replacement might be $175,000, just give or take. That's what it has historically been when I've been buying my properties. And I bought a lot of my properties that I'm selling today, I bought them at eighty dollars to $110,000 a door for three to five years ago, right? These now new prices are not 80, 90, 110K, they're now 150, 170, 180. They've increased the value, right? The cost of construction is also going up as well. Remember the supply demand, cost of getting things built is now becoming more difficult, uh, coupled with you know, local municipalities you know, not being as quick to approve permits, but I'm not gonna get into that just yet. But we're seeing this huge shift in valuations. And it has given me a little bit of pause because I've always thought 
and this is a rule of thumb for anyone who's looking at multifamily or any really any sort of real estate, if you're looking at value-add properties, value-add real estate, my rule of thumb has always been, I want to, to get a mid-teen IRR to my investors, I want to be able to get a 50% valuation increase on my asset over five years, right? I want to, so, so how, how about, example, buy at 100K a door, you're going to sell at 150K a door in five years time. That would give you a good mid-teen IRR return to investors. That's coupled with you're buying it at $1,000 effective rent. You want to grow that rent 10% a year. So the effective rent grows to $1,400, $1,500 over the next five years, right? That was always the historical adage of how we've gone about looking for prices or looking for, for value in properties. Now, as I said, we're seeing that, that those $1,400, $1,500 prices achieved today and thus the, the cost of the property is also going up and matching that. So we're seeing those 150, that 50% value that I just spoke about, the, the increase from 100 to 150, we're seeing those $150,000 per door values today because those rents are sort of at that level. I'm not saying that they're correlated, but they kind of are. And it's just interesting to, to, to take a step back and say, well, do I believe that this asset will be worth, so if I'm buying it, if I'm using my 50% rule, if I'm buying at 150 today, I then have to sell it for 250, uh, not 250, 225 a door in five years time for me to make a good uh, mid-teen IRR to my investors, right? Do I believe that? And I'm seeing prop some properties, 1980s, 1990, uh, 1980s product in these secondary markets, these more affordable markets, now trading at 275, nearly 300, over $200,000 a door today, right? So the question still beckons is that where, the, where you're buying, you know, historically I've bought properties at 80s, 90s, 100K a door, it's now 150s, 175s, 200, even 230K a door in some markets for value-add vintage product. Can I go sell those assets in five years' time for over $300,000 a door? And the answer is, do you believe in the rent growth story, right? Do you believe that, and this is inflation, it's all coming back around to inflation. We are in a frothy environment right now. We have a, we, we're in a recession for two quarters last year. We've come out of it. But where do, where, where, do these, where do these prices keep going to? And what I keep coming back to again and again and again, I know as I talk to brokers across different markets, everyone is talking about that average, the average cost of living, the average rent, the average home price is now at a certain level. This is also related back to wages. Wages are now have increased 20, 10 to 20%, depending on you know, which market you look at and what industry, but let's just call it around 15% um, average. And I'm, I'm, I'm not pulling any you know, national data, I'm just pulling it from my own portfolio. And if you look back at history back in the 80s, where there was also massive inflation, one thing that didn't come back down was the average cost of living. It didn't go up. The, 10, 15% and come back down, you know, 10, 15% after time. It stayed high. Cost of wages stayed high. And I believe this is now looking forward into 2022 and beyond. And this relates, is going to relate back to my um, comment about the cost of product. And, you know, do I believe in selling an asset for over $300,000 a door in five years' time? Is that Wages are going to uh, wages are probably going to stay where they are. The, the new ceiling or the new floor has been set, I should say. Right, new floor has been readjusted. The average hourly employee is now probably making 
more than what they were pre-pandemic. Um, uh, and so I don't see that coming back down, which also has a trickle-on effect to rents. I don't see rents coming back down from $1,500 down back to 1000 bucks in really at all uh, in these markets that I've been heavily invested in in the last seven to eight years. So I think now, going back to answer my own question, I believe in the rent growth, but do I believe in the valuation growth? And that's something that I'm probably going to have the juries out for me right now, given my experience in ground-up construction, given what it costs to build something. I think the academic view of cost replacement versus cost of uh, an existing asset today is valid, but I don't think the, the argument of, well, would you rip it down a class B or C property to rebuild a brand new you know, class A building? There's a whole bunch of other risks in there, like you know, municipality risks and construction risks and you know, lending risks, blah, 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 for execution risks, so to speak. And there's still a massive need for housing, right? We look at the housing starts across these secondary, secondary markets. And here, even in, in, in LA, we're just not keeping up with the demand. But we haven't been keeping up with demand for housing over decades. You look back at the data, there's always been need for more affordable housing, you know, ever since I can remember starting to learn about investing, if you look back at the historical data. So where I'm going with all of this is that I think moving into 2022 and beyond, the new bar has been set, the new floor has been set. Things are only, I do think rent growth is going to soft, will plateau. I don't think it's going to continue to keep going up at double digits. We've, you know, we've had rent growth in Austin, of, I think it was nearly 18% year over year. I don't think you're going to see much more of that, but I don't think you're not going to come back and have negative uh, rents, rent growth across these secondary markets, not really across any market. The new cost of living is now set. Wages have now started to increase and they've always been historically sluggish to wages to keep up with the cost of living, but ties us all back to that. I think we're now at a new, a new floor. I, I don't think I can't see the average rent going down the average cost of real estate drastically going down. I'm talking about like drastically going down. there might be a blip and I think there will be a bit of a, you know, a softening or a flattening, or maybe even a slight pullback, but I don't think you're going to go back the ground. We've, we've sort of come five steps forward or six steps forward, six steps forward. We may come back one or two steps, but then we'll continue to go up. And, you know, we look back at, in 10 years' time, we'll look back at this time and we'll say, yeah, we're now, we're now even more expensive than what we were. So overall, I think you have to be prudent about where you're coming from, understanding what, what has caused these effects how long do we think this is going to, how long in the tooth is this going to last? And what does this mean moving forward as calibrating as real estate investors? What type of returns we're going to expect? What type of yields we're going to expect on our money? And that all has to be adjusted to being realistic about where we are in the economy. This inflation has to not, it can't keep going where it is. Inflation has been historically, I think the, the largest inflation in, I think it was November was at a 30-year high. Inflation has to slow down. I think the Fed will have to do something with interest rates in order to curb the effect of inflation. We can't keep going at 6 7% inflation. So I think there will be, the Fed will have to step in across multiple Feds across the, the globe to 
you know, and this goes back to lending, to increase interest rates. And that, I think that will, that will come. Uh, again, I'm not an economist, but I do believe that you can't keep going at this rate of inflation, you know, inflation, and, and the government is not going to step in and do something about it when it comes to interest rates. I'm more than happy to be proved wrong. In 12 months' time, we'll, we'll see uh, where we pan out. But in general, I think interest rates may be going up. I don't think they're going well up. I don't think they're going to 5%. But I think there has something's got to give in relation to, to, to try and curb the effects of inflation because we are in an inflationary environment. I think the last thing I'm going to say before we sign off here is that the word transitory is probably the wrong word. I think this, this inflationary environment might be sticking around for a little bit longer than what we all think it was going to stick around for. But you also got to take pause and look back of how, where we've come from in the last 18 months and now and use that data and correlate it to where we were in 2008, back in the early 90, mid to early 2000s with the dot-com crash back in the late 80s with the inflationary environment, looking at history to see where we're going to traject uh, and, and keep going up, you know, where we're going to be on the trajectory to. How does that affect investors? Be diligent. Understand where you're investing. You want to hedge your money, your, your risk, your money against inflation, which so you mean you're going to be looking for hard assets. Understand that when you're buying into hard assets, you've got to be adding value. So when I mean adding value, look at the historical data, where are rents at, whether it be in multifamily or self-storage or mobile home parks, understand the effect of inflation on the cost of living, but also what does that mean for your specific deal and how can you add value to capture the increase in rents or the increase in that cost of living for your bottom line when you're, when you're buying a deal. So definitely look at entry cap rates, but understand where you're going to understand the cost per pound of what things to build and to you know, where they historically have been. And we've seen a massive jump in the last 12 months, which I've just spoken about earlier, about um, the, the price per pound of multifamily, what I'm seeing in my personal portfolio, what I'm seeing and hearing from other sponsors across the country. And I think you're just being diligent and also being diversified across multiple different asset classes. Uh, I will say coming out of the pandemic, multifamily was... It is the golden child. Like we need food, we need water, we need shelter. And multifamily, part of the reason there's so much money in multifamily is because of how well it fared in the, in, in, in during COVID and during the recession. So we've seen a lot more people wanting to get into the multifamily market and thus that is also pushing prices down coupled with the fact we're seeing rents go up in the inflationary uh, in effects on the economy across the across the globe and across the country here in the US. So hopefully that's given you a little bit of under, better understanding of where we come from, better understanding about what I'm seeing. And if you have any other questions, you, you know, we could talk about it for hours on this show about where the economy is going. We don't have a crystal ball, but just also I implore people to look back at history and look back at where we've come from and see what trends you can identify to then apply it into your investing thesis. And always want to be diligent. You always want to be hedging your risk uh, against not only inflation, but you want to be protecting your, your capital, right? You don't want to lose money. So you want to be investing in things that will preserve your capital over the long term. And just so happens to be that multifamily is a hard asset and keeping uh, a lot more people are wanting to get involved in it. Um, so 
With that being said, I want to thank you so much again for tuning in over the last six years. You've been an incredible audience. We're going to do it all again next year. I'm taking a couple of weeks off. I'm actually going back to Australia, which I'm really, really excited about. I haven't seen my family in over two and a half years. So hopefully the Omicron variant will not cause me any issues. Cross my fingers. <laughs> um, but I just want to say, again, a big thank you for all the listeners on this show. I, I do this show. I don't make any money off this show. I just do it because I love giving back. If you love giving back to this show, please share it with your friends, share it with your family, under, you know, like it on Facebook, like it on uh, Instagram, like, you can follow me on Instagram. You also can like the show and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps me with the platform and keeping to grow my presence on, um, on iTunes and across multiple other podcasting platforms. And if you have any questions, again, please reach out at info at reedgoosens.com. If you're interested in learning to invest with me, please head over to my website, my new website, which is now up and running at reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. Uh, and click on the invest with me read button. It's going to take you through a series of steps. And be on the lookout because there's some few things that will be changing next year. Uh, I'm really excited about some, um, some things that are coming down the pike both on the business side, from the investing portfolio side, but also for the podcast, uh, also from a marketing point of view. So be, be on the lookout. I can't give too much away, but I really want to hope and wish all of you a fantastic happy holidays. I hope you had an incredible 2021. If not, 2022 is going to be even better. Have that positive mindset. Keep tuning into the show. Thank you again so much for all the support. We're going to do it all again next year. And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.